Hey, it's Naughty. And I'm the Teach. And welcome to Naughty and the Teach. This week, we are your gentle black hotties. Yes, we are the gentle black hotties this week. And we are getting ourselves ready for a little break for from our uh, day jobs. Oh, and, and college because, you know, I, I do both. Yes, spring break is upon us and we are happy to have it. So we are going to do, you know, some stuff for the podcast. But we are definitely going to be enjoying ourselves and relaxing as well. Yes, it is finally, or yeah, spring is finally winning in New York. So we get to enjoy the nice weather. It has been rather cold even in the late month of April. So the, it's, the nice weather is especially nice. And we have a new, new graphic that I am putting on the TV behind us. Soon you'll see it, eventually. Yes, and I'm excited about it, and it's there, and we're ready to showcase it in a little bit. But, you know, when the reveal comes, you'll all see it together. Yes. Um, so if you're, if you're celebrating the holidays, you know, Passover, woo-woo, or Easter, Good yeah. Friday, you know, um, yeah, all the Ramadan, holidays. you know, happy holidays. All the re- uh, religious holidays, happy holidays to you. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's get ourselves together. and But first, let's pop off. Shit is too long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I am going to work on shorting it during this spring break. My thirst feels quenched, though, so it's all good. So this week on Howard Stern, uh, Molly Shannon was talking about her memoir, Hello, Molly. Um, Molly Shannon used to be on SNL, if you didn't know. Um, And she was talking about how, or or she spoke on how Gary Coleman sexually harassed her. And Is it borderline assault, though, when we start to... I think, um, I don't, I... I would think it's sexual harassment because he they didn't have sex and he didn't actually he didn't sexually touch her. I think it be it's also it's similar to Kiki Palmer and Trey Songs where she said sexual intimidation, and that's what this I think what this is. Well, I think she she also go ahead finish and then I'll. So, so she meant so she when in her interview and in her, um and in her book she talks about how um, she has signed to Gary Coleman's manager and so she went to his hotel room. And, uh, you know, they're sitting on the bed and he's trying to touch her and she's trying to show him through her body language that she is uncomfortable, but he's not picking up on those cues. And this is all from her perspective because he could have been ignoring them. <laughs> and, um, and so then she like pushes him off and he starts jumping on the bed and tries to jump on her. At one point she gets up to walk away and he's like pulling at her leg and she's like trying to kick him off of her. <laughs> it's not funny. But um, and then she locked herself in the bathroom and he sticks his hand under the door and is like, I can see you trying to get her to come out. (laughs) And she also speaks on his size and about how, you know, she wasn't physically intimidated by him. So I also think that that adds to her perception of what happened. I think um, I heard a report that when she was telling this story that he said that he was trying to kiss her. And, you know, climb up on her. Yes. And I think that's where it gets a little. But I guess because she must have been like this kid type figure is trying to climb up on me and kiss me up. But I also wonder if it's like climbing or he was just trying to like. 
You, you know, like when you like jumped heavy, off the like bed having, and tried to like jump on her. Like heavy petting, like when you're trying to like get close to someone and touch their back. He's a small person or he was a small person. So she's saying like he's trying to climb on me when in his mind he might have just been trying to be sexy. So he was trying, trying to, to Joe Biden her. Yeah, like Ariana Grande. Yeah, I would say that. So, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> yes, definitely. There's a lot of wrongdoing there. But um, one of the criticisms I've seen, which, you know, men on the Internet was saying that instead of her showing him through her body language, she should have just told him no. Well, obviously they didn't hear because she had told him that she wasn't interested and she said with it. actual words. But, you know, men yeah, and the they, Internet. They read what they want to read. Or they hear what they want to hear. Yeah. Because they always put themselves in these situations. You know how you fix this situation? Let's say you're in that same situation and a girl says no, you stop. That's I also, it. I also think like... There's no hands, little small hands under the door trying to, trying to get, get at her out. while she's hiding in the bathroom. It's... It's also like when you see like men, when they find out someone is gay, they're like, oh, but don't try to hit on me. So you understand the uncomfortability of oh, another man point, hitting point. on you or being good too point. close to you, except when you want to dominate a woman. Good point. Good point. Thank you. I smart. Yes, that is true because, but also I think though, one thing that we do have to really, really focus on is the fact that everybody don't want you. So just because you're attracted to somebody and you want them, that doesn't mean they want you. Also, and the same thing is there's a, you know, you find out that somebody is gay and you think that, oh, well, don't hit on me. That don't mean they want you. Just because a person likes the gender that you are doesn't mean that they will like you. Even women who like your gender doesn't mean they like your ass. Exactly. And y'all got to learn that. But, you know... You know, I, like I said, there's a lot of things that we are taught when we're younger. We're taught never take no for an answer, which mm -hmm. is extremely dangerous. Or the, even the idea of the thrill of the chase. Yeah. The thrill of the chase is... It means keep going when she says no, or when they say no. Keep going. But I think the thrill of the chase could be part of the courting process. I think that's what people are so misinterpreting. why are you chasing? But that's what I'm saying. I, I, I don't know. That's what I, I don't understand it. Yeah, because courting somebody sounds oh. like they they are they they are enjoying it. I know what I can bring it courting, back to. Courting, you're you're playing. Chasing the notebook. Is no. <laughs> <laughs> it's always gonna come back to the notebook. Only because. Yep. Only because she had told him no many times. This man climbed on the Ferris wheel and threatened to kill himself if she didn't go on a date with him. Talk this to. is what women, kids. Boys, girls watch at a young age and they go, wow, that's romantic. That's the grand gesture of love. And then you start to look for that. And you don't get it in that sense. You get the, yo, you ever hear, and I think I've said this before, when you hear, like, talk to older folk, older people, and they're like, hey, hey, grandma, how did you get with granddad? He just wouldn't leave me alone and he wore me down one day. So then I said yes. That that shit is terrible. That sounds so beautiful. No, you know? that shit is terrible. He someone, wore me down. He just wouldn't so leave me alone. Annoying and so creepy that you're like, let me just give in. But when and, we when we stop the harassment, when we look at these movies such as The Notebook and those, we just can't stop. So I'm not saying that this Gary Coleman situation isn't. I think Gary Coleman's situation also has this the fame attached to it. Who knows how many times Gary Coleman has done something similar to that and it worked. Yeah. Um, if we bring it to a more modern time, and I don't want to do this, the Aziz Ansari situation, 
Not that he, you know, she, it's the same situation where a woman was uh, expressing that they weren't really, you know, feeling the situation, but he kept going and kept going. In, in his fame, Gary Coleman and Aziz, how many times has that actually worked? Probably so many. And then it was just like, all right, well, this is just another one of those. And, you know, they seem to like the same type of women. And they, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. So they seem to like the same type of women. They were like, oh, if I did it with Susan and Shannon might like this also. Rebecca might like this also. Or accept it, not like it. Yeah, accept, accept it. it. Um, all right. So uh, <laughs> mine's is a little bit more comical, but also mind, mind-numbingly frustrating. I want to talk about the Grammys of 2022. More specifically, I want to talk about the uh, <laughs> reggae album of the year. And I want to talk about um, artists that were nominated. Well, first and foremost, this was the first time that two female reggae artists were nominated for reggae album of the year. So this is a big, big moment. There are many, many representations and representatives of Jamaica and reggae music through and through in this category. We got the legendary Sean Paul. If you, even if you don't listen to reggae music, you know who Sean Paul is. We got Spice, who has been killing it for the past couple of years. Spice is on the come up. It was good that she got her flowers. This was her first nomination. A lot of people felt like, you know, that she was in a prime position to win. Yeah, she had her, her, one of her songs is really popular now on um, TikTok. The one about explaining the Kardashian and black uh, China drama. Yeah, so she has been putting work in. Um, Atanya, who has also been killing it. This is her second nomination. You have these reggae artists from Jamaica, been doing reggae music for years, representing. Then you have a group from Virginia uh, called Soja, which stands for Soldiers of Jaws Army. A couple of white guys from Virginia who on a whim just said, you know what, we're going to do some reggae music. And they made an album. Um, they, when I say white men doing reggae, I want you to picture that. That's them exactly. I guarantee you, you thought of at least one white guy with dreads. I guarantee you, you thought of at least one white guy with dreads. When you heard, they, they sound and look like a reggae cover band. It looks like you were on a cruise ship and you... You know, you're like, oh, I'm going to go listen to some music. And then they showed up. And you're like, oh, I mean, shit, I'm drinking. So I'm going like, to listen to these. On a, even on a cruise ship, they would have had black oh, guys. Oh, that's true. Cruise ship's no better. And they would have <laughs> had the symphony. Okay? Yeah, that's, that's the only true. you ever see those things. Well, long story short, uh, reggae album of the year went to uh, Soldiers of Jazz Army. Now, we're going to try something that we haven't done. We're going to try to play the audio for their acceptance speech. Now, as far as I know, and I haven't watched the Grammys in a while, so if you are listening, please send me a DM to make correct me. But they never really televise, even on the pre-show or whatever, the winners of the reggae album of the year. It's always like, you know, mentioned mm-hmm. in like, oh, these were the albums we gave, or these were the Grammys we gave out earlier. But they did televise it. And I want to play, and I got to pull it up, so give me some time. I want to play their acceptance speech um, 
for the album of the year. I also want to keep in mind that this is a room full of people. And normally when somebody wins, there's like this big outburst of people applauding and clapping. Even if clapping. they don't know them. Yep. They're just like, yeah, this person won. This is their acceptance speech. Oh, give me a second. I s <laughs> slow moving. It's coming. Just wait. Utter silence. Nah, you hold it, you hold it. Um, we want to thank uh, all our influences when we were growing up. Starting reggae band was kind of our dream and the only thing we wanted to do. Um, and then one day people started coming to the shows and we're not really sure what happened. Um, but thank you to the Academy, to Red Light Management and Elliot, and to ATO Records. Thank you, guys. To the founding fathers of reggae music into the island of Jamaica, you inspired us all. Give thanks. One love. One love. Give thanks. All right. All right. Love y'all. Thank you so much. That was the acceptance speech for the Soldiers of Jazz Army after they won the reggae album of the year in 2022. It's 2022 and they are the winners. I just have to say, one of the band members speaking in Patois is, all right, all right. is especially like just bothersome and very racist because Irie. Patois in itself is, um, is a rebellious language because it takes part of the different mixes of um, African languages that people who are coming in and it takes the quote-unquote master's language of English or the colonizer's language of English. And people call it broken English, but it's actually the formations of different languages and different slang terms being all put together, conglomerated together to make something new. So him just speaking like that just so flippantly is just like you don't even know the history of, of that language and you're just using it for to be funny. I, I, there's just... People, I don't know if it's stunned, shocked, or people just were like, what, who, huh, what? I, I wonder whose son is in that band that they were like, yo, my child got to win the Grammy. The one who was in the vest and tie, definitely. Oh, maybe. The one, Irie? No, the first one. The first oh. one who's The one who was like, yeah, we, uh, uh, our goal was to, he won, he looked high. But, you know, whatever. It's an award show. But he was like, our goal is to start a reggae band. And people just started coming to the show. They, they're based out in Virginia. I wonder how, mu how many. And also, they have a whole. Don't talk shit about Virginia. Maybe no, no. I'm not talking about. No, no. I'm not talking shit about well, Virginia. I'm talking about who they are. And when they are starting this band, I know they weren't going into the urban areas like, oh, let's play some reggae music. They probably were playing it for people who look like them. You probably And right. they were probably like, oh, and then people started coming on. There was a following. And, you know, a lot of, I don't know if how many hippies or people who live that type of life, they like, you know, have the Bob Marley uh, poster on their wall. They talk about, you know, how it is, especially if you ever ran into somebody white woman white man who like moved to like one of the islands and they're just like yeah i do yoga and i'm zen and i'm all of this that's the type of life that they are and i guarantee you that those are the people who are like yeah soldiers of jazz army everybody else who listens to reggae and know those other artists 
especially Spice this year, especially how much work Sean Paul has been doing his whole career, felt the sting of that win in 2022. And that's my gripe with the whole situation. They sound like a cover band. I'm sorry. They do Even the, look like a cover band, too. I, I don't. The snippet that you played, it was like, is this reggae? Is this jazz? You're just taken from all the black cultures. You listen. And just saying, fuck it. It's what has. And, you know, we talked about this before, um, especially when we talked about the uh, godmother of rock and roll which should be the mother of rock and roll because she was the original. I think they say godmother like James Brown, godfather. They call a jo- Joni Mitchell the, the mother of rock and roll. There, is there a father of rock and roll? Joni Mitchell, I don't... Um, okay, well, it's probably It might be Elvis. White. Okay, well then... You see what I'm saying then? Yeah, fuck the white people. So it, it, it might be one of them. That, that's just my opinion. The teacher she might not she agree. means that in the context of. I mean, fuck my supremacy is really what yes, I mean. It's, it's the context of this. Yeah. Um, so that's all I got for my popping off. Um, this is 2022. And, you know, if you. All right. Here's, here's a challenge for everybody. Listen to Soldiers of Jazz Army. Listen to the album they won for. I think it was The Sound of Silence. I Hold on. Let me let me look that up real quick so I can tell you the name of the album uh, beauty in the silence excuse me and listen to it top to bottom objectively just go in there just like you know what i'm gonna listen close your eyes don't listen don't think about who they are or what they look like don't think about the fact that they're from virginia don't think about one of them or two of them got dreads don't think about the fact that they just got on this accepted speech and won a grammy in 2022 listen to it and then say you know what I see. Why? Don't be high, though. You can't be high. Like, <laughs> you got to do this sober. <laughs> if you're a musician, why would you, like, talk about the beauty and silence? I feel like that's not what you want people. You want people to listen to the, to look, the music. Look, they wanted a catchy name. I'm just saying. It's like, wow, and this is po- They probably like, and you know think, what? Nicki Minaj, no Grammys. Ooh, Soldiers of Ja Army got one. And Nicki Minaj has none. Wow. That used to be the joke about three six a three six mafia when they won an Oscar before Martin Scorsese. I was like, oh, I mean, I mean, but the, but they won for music. It wasn't they won for acting? But they won an Oscar. <laughs> but I mean, come on, I it's get hard, it. I get it's, it. It's hard out here for a yeah. pimp. Slaps. Uh, although it does slap, but also when that movie won, it won for the same things that black men were only given roles to back in the days. Morgan Freeman. Back in the days? Still in the days. Morgan Freeman started off as a pimp. Not shocking. That's what I'm saying. Because that's all the roles they would give us, especially after the uh, black black exploitation. Black exploitation. Black exploitation movies ended. They were just like, uh, 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 yeah, just be a drug dealer, be a pimp, slap a woman. Samuel L. Jackson and Halle Berry started off as crackheads. Crackheads, yep. In, uh, what was it? Uh, it was, uh, was it? It was Jungle Fever. It was. Uh, it is Jungle Fever. Halle Berry is Jungle Fever because she uh, um, offers to suck Wesley Snipes' dick for a dollar. Just a dollar. Just a dollar. Damn man. And inflation I, really I, changed I, shit. And I'm not sure if for for Samuel L. Jackson if it was Coming to America f- first or the Spike what? Lee movie. He isn't Coming to America. Yeah, I, mean, I know he was. He was the robber. The robber. Okay. I, I you did. think I don't know Coming to no, America? No. You can't say why though. Yeah. I, I not yet. Thought, <laughs> I thought it, I, I began him as a crackhead and him as a, a, a he was he definitely a was a, he was like a he robber was, yeah but um because he I don't I'm not sure what movie came out first 
So, but he wasn't a Spike. He was in two Spike Lee movies where he was a crackhead. Do you want me to Google it? Yeah, sure. We could, which one came out first? Yeah, I'm gonna just gonna Google uh, Samuel Jackson's first role. It's gonna be so. And but he was a crackhead, so I guess he was just imitating life. That's mean. I'm sorry, right, Samuel so Jackson. Samuel Jackson's first movie. Damn, why can't so many? Um, well, oh my god, he it was a black <laughs> black rotation independent film called Together for Days. Was he a crackhead? I, I'm I'm not sure, but it came out in 1972. Oh, well, 1972. It's been out here for a minute. It's 50 years ago. He's old. No, but what I'm saying is the fact that he was in a movie and still going strong 50 years. How many people? Samuel Jackson don't get his flowers. Oh, by the way, he also won his first Oscar. Not it wasn't televised, but he was presented to it by Denzel Washington. Um, Oh, 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 he just won. He just won. See, Will Smith just slapped somebody, and now everybody forgot the rest of the Oscar. Well, that didn't happen on the Oscar televised. It was the day before, and it was like the Oscar dinner, Oscar like free something. I would be tight if I got my first Oscar before the Oscars. Listen, I think also Samuel L. Jackson is the highest grossing movie star of all time. Meaning his movies collectively made more money than anything because I know he passed Harrison Ford a couple of years ago. They always they're always back and forth because they come out. Harrison Ford. Samuel Jackson talks about it because they he because they usually make movies in opposing years. You think they'd be like, "Yo, Harrison, they shit, got, we gonna give you something yeah. just so you could show it's up." It's the in. same thing with Jay Z and P Diddy. That's why P Diddy um got Ciroc was because Jay Z was making more Jesus money than Spades, him. That's right. And then he was like, "Oh no, no, fuck that! I'm the real mogul in this Ciroc." <sighs> Rich people, billionaire problems. Pharrell, can you imagine? It was like, listen, listen. There's one person making more money than me. You're making slightly more money than me. Fuck that. Let me just start a whole like, oh, new excuse thing. Excuse me. Excuse me. Avengers. We need another movie because I need to make more money. Harrison yeah, Harrison Ford is, Ford is gonna like, show up. No, no. Uh, Samuel Jackson Jackson's still in those movies. So good. So it's like, uh, you know, they got a Star Wars coming out. We need a new movie right now. Capital One. Let's do some more commercials. You want another uh, Indiana Jones? You could just sit uh, you could sit this one out. Just show Sh- up. Cause Shia LaBeouf done fucked that shit up with ah, the way Sh- he asked. He can never he can't be Indiana Jones anymore. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I, I mean, on a rant now. We are going to uh, <laughs> stop that so we can get into our um main topic. Like the bio so, says we talk shit. Yes, yeah, so talking that shit all the time. So the uh wait, let's introduce it. I, I'm so, going to. I was going to. Yeah, introduce Dick and Deep. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are about to move on to our next segment, uh, which is Digging Deep. And this week, our topic is? It is the dangers of authority. And so when we say it, we always like to give you a definition of what we are, we mean exactly when we are um, presenting something. So when we're talking about authority and the definition that we're the working definition that we're going off is the power or right to give orders, make decisions and enforce obedience. A person having power or control, obedience to authority is seen across cultures. And that's what we want you to think about as we present this episode. So um, authority is not only is it seen or the obedience to authority is not only seen across cultures, but it's also like authority is seen across different professions. So um, just like from a basis, when we talk about like uh, people in the workplace being in authority, 
authoritarian, it is different from being authoritative. Authoritative, you are explaining why. Authoritarian, you are, you are telling people what to do with no explanation and you expect them to follow the rules that you set out and even the unspoken rules that there may be. So if you are in a business and you expect productivity, you know, like the idea, if you've ever worked um, like in food service, the idea, if you can lean, you can clean, which means that you always need to be working. There is no moment where you should be resting if it is not your break. That is an authoritarian, uh, yeah, authoritarian way to um, manage people. You can see the same thing in the classroom where you, we've all had a teacher like that where it's like they have to just do, <laughs> they have to do, you have to, like, to do work. There's no questions to be asked. There's not really a classroom culture or community. Um, you know, like things like that. So, like, if you've ever been afraid to ask a question for fear of being stupid or just being disruptive, that is an authoritarian teacher. And we even see it in the medical field where patients are afraid to be a part of their um, their care process. They, so they don't want to. They don't want to ask too many questions. They don't want to say. They don't want to get a second opinion. They don't. They just like, okay, the doctor said this. I'm going to do this because they don't want to be considered a difficult patient and we even see it um there's I've read a few articles where nurses did not give end-of-life care like CPR so no not end-of-life care they didn't give prolonging care so they didn't give CPR because there was it was like oh I I can't like their their job told them that they couldn't or that they were told by a doctor to stop or the residents are told by the doctors to stop so then um you know when someone could have had more time even if it would have been just, just to say goodbye, like the CPR has stopped altogether. Can I just jump in? Yeah. So I wanted to break this up a bit because we, we, we've mentioned many different things. We mentioned many different aspects. We talked about authority and authoritative. And to think of it on a more global scale, um, there's a crisis going on in the Ukraine. And there is an authoritative government who is basically saying or, you know, opposing their will on things. Then we have the authorities like... Uh, so if you think about it, like a dictatorship is authoritarian. Yes, authoritarian. Um, if you think of the illusion of democracy, and I say the illusion for a specific reason, it's the opposite of authoritarian. So that would that would be authoritative. Yes. Because authoritative Sorry, is mixed them. Authoritative is when you get an explanation for why things are the way they are, or so why you why you're doing. In something. the illusion of monopoly, we get the author uh, monopoly. The illusion of democracy, we get that. But with authoritarian, it's just you do because um, you're, you're told to do so. And that we could see that in many ways. Uh, Nordy mentioned in schools, in hospital, in your own personal care while you're in hospital. Um, she also mentioned, did you mention parents or when you have? So, you know, we're going to break these down a, in a little bit um, so that way you can get an understanding. So which one do you want to start with? We can start with parenting because I think that'll give a better understanding. So and when you think of, like, there's different styles of parenting. So authoritative is what we see um, a lot of society going towards right now, where it's that children will have rules, but parents will say, we don't do this because. Or, we, like, or I know that you're upset, but what is your anger telling you? I know that, like, we don't hit people because it hurts. Those are things that are authoritative because you're – you are telling the child why, not to, why why you shouldn't do something, while also setting up like very particular rules, and 
another another way that we can see authoritative parenting would be like we even asking your child how they feel because that means like they're they are a part of the relationship where author, authoritarian parenting there it the only time that you get any kind of feedback is when you are getting punished um there's no positive feedback it's you do this because i told you to do it because i said so you know there's no collaboration on how to be better or um within that relationship of parent to child yeah and that does not give the kid any agency to speak on what they need another thing that is said is be seen and not heard. Exactly. That is authoritarian parenting. And that is a parent just basically saying, I need to see where you are and who you are, whatever, but you should not speak. You should not be heard. You should not advocate. You should not. You basically need to be silent. And then when you think about this and you're telling a child this at a young age, this is what they grow up thinking that this is how I should exist. My existence should be, I should be seen, but nobody should really hear from me. So they don't have the sense or the tools to advocate for themselves, to say, this is what I need, this is what I like, this is what I want, because we are already stifling their voice at a very young age and early, early in their um, development. And you're, yes, and you're teaching them that, or you're creating this idea that advocacy is disrespectful. So then they're not going to do it in any in any aspect of their life or they have to go to therapy to unlearn all of those things because um, authoritarian parenting does lead to um, depression and anxiety in adults. Uh, and another thing I do want to add is I have seen um, parents or I've seen experiences where they would get upset that their kid don't express themselves these days. So when they get in their teenage years or that the kids rebel. They, they're like, oh, no, the way that I've been having to exist mm -hmm. by my parents, you know, rules and regulations is too much. And then they just rebel or they're like, I don't understand why they don't say what they want or what they need, because every time up until this point they've tried to, you have stifled that you have told them you have basically implanted in them that they should not say anything about how they feel what they feel, what they need, and how they should basically exist on a day-to-day -day basis. And when children become teenagers, it even, changing your parenting style just on a psychological level Ooh. does nothing. Because at that, at that point, they think about it. From zero, from zero to 12 or zero to 13, however you want to you know, split it up, you have shown them the kind of person that you are and the kind of parent that you are. So changing it up at that point does nothing. If you knew somebody for 12 years and they never let you express yourself, and then one day they were like, no, talk to me. You'd be like, no, fuck you. I'm, I don't want to, like, I don't trust you. And that's, you know, just psychologically, it doesn't help. Yeah, so it doesn't really help, especially, and we're starting at the very beginnings of development. And when you're told that, and let's, you know, this is just one aspect of life that is the most profound. With people who go for support or go to help or go to get therapy, one of the biggest things they have to undo is is their upbringings from their parents or the things that they carried from home or their home life or their family. That's one of the major, major things that they have to undo. And, you know, depending on the parenting style, if you have that authoritarian style, which also could be very culturally. Um, yes, it, um, I, I, I read a few articles that they were, but they were science-based, so they weren't really in the outline, that 
that is generally the Asian style of parenting is to be authoritarian. I also think that authoritarian parenting was also a Western, a Western, like generally a Western idea because, um, or just a cultural idea. I think not, not just a Westernized idea, but even globally because there were world wars and most people were poor. And, you know, when you, you don't necessarily have the time or the, the, the time or the tools to say like, why are you doing this to your kid? You slap them and you're just like, don't do that anymore. And that's it. And you expect it to be just respected. Or if you have, if you have to buy things, it's like, this is what you get. I don't care what you want. This is what we can afford. And I think that now as culture is shifting, authoritarian parenting is frowned upon because we want, like, there's an idea that children are people now. And that wasn't necessarily the idea in, even in the 70s, like, you know, before In the 80s, in the 90s? Yeah, no, no, but I do. Maybe the 2000s, I'm not sure. I do think, but people would call it, like, authoritative parenting, like, white parenting. Like, oh, look, they look at these white people letting all their, their kids do whatever, um, but like, it's, I just think it's a societal shift. I mean, I'm at the point now to where I don't care how people are raising their kids as long as, as long as I don't have to interact or deal with them. Just I don't think that's necessarily true. Just from personal interaction. Oh no! And going forward, I don't care anymore. Like people are going to do what they do and how they raise their kids. But I think the only issue becomes is when that style of parenting affects others. Um, one thing that you do have to also take in mind is you can the kid you could be authoritarian at home and with your kid, but when your kid's not with you, they are going to act in ways that they cannot act with or around you. And yeah. that is something that then becomes because it's not like they're like, oh, I'm just gonna misbehave. They're gonna be like, listen, no, I'm gonna this get is crazy. the only time I can yeah. act the way I'm going to act, and then they lose their minds. And then that becomes everybody else's problem. Because it, it's in public, it's when they're not with their parents, you know, that, or it's in school. Yeah. <laughs> it's in school. <laughs> so, you know, these are the types of things that we see and we, we do, but there has to, there is a middle ground and we'll, we're going to get to that. So that's parenting. Um, let's talk about, you want to move into? Do you want to move into the classroom? Uh, let's, you want to go straight to school? Yeah, parenting so, hospital. So let's talk about uh, schooling. So we're taking those same things where let's say that there's an authoritarian uh, upbringing for a child at home. Then the next place that they spend most of their time in is school. And then they're met with another authoritarian, authoritarian uh, regime in their teachers that they have. And they're not allowed to say things or do things or act things. That will definitely af- affect their learning That'll affect their creativity. That'll affect their overall growth. The fact that they, then now, then this is just a situation where it's happening home and at school. There's no place for them to really explore. No place for them to really understand. They're only told what they should do and what they shouldn't do. There's no, it's black or it's white. Do this or don't do this. And that's it. And there's no gray and life is full of gray. One of the things I'm going to keep saying is Multiple things can be true at once. Things can be wrong, but they could be fun. Things can be right, but they could feel wrong. I mean, just for you and sense. Multiple things could be true at once. And when you have that, it's harmful for their development, their neurological development. It 
doesn't really help to build an actual community. It builds a community of people who are just programmed to follow rules. My job now is to follow the rules because I'm told to do it. I'm supposed to do this or they sometimes can't operate without the guidance or the uh, I'm trying to think of the word, the guidance. And I don't want to use support uh, or the acknowledgement. I can't think of another word at the moment. The guidance or the acknowledgement of the teacher or their or their parent. And then they just become this. They're just waiting to get an approval from one or the other. And then they grow up seeking this approval as they, you know, leave their um, parents' home, if they leave their parents' home, or if they leave school and then they're just seeking approval from others in order to kind of validate themselves, their choices, their development, all these different things. And we're, we end up creating a, uh, a group of people who are supposed to be the future, who tend to not really know themselves. Or they can only really operate like on a point system of some sort. Like, yeah. I see that a lot when um in different professions, like when when like going from like working in food service and then working in a school, there I've done that with a few people. Like when we were in food service, there were very precise guidelines and we would get um not bonuses but we would get different prizes for achieving certain things and that's where they that's where they felt their self-worth. Like the fact that I used to think that being able to work f- 14 hours in a day was like wow, that means I'm great. I'm a great worker. I'm a great person. Like no it doesn't. It means that people can overwork you and you won't say no. Um and they know that. So they're going to keep asking you to do that. Um you know, things like that. And uh it also like when it comes to an authoritarian classroom. If you are a neuro, neurodivergent student, it can be a it can be a harmful place for you. And I've seen that. I generally work with kids who are uh, who have an intellectual development disability or disorder. And in classrooms where there is an authoritarian teacher, they are not given the things that are um, that will help them be successful. Like they're not giving breaks beca- because in their in their documentation, it will say like this child needs to have a break every 10 minutes or this child needs to get up and walk around. And it'll, it'll say that very explicitly, but a lot of the, in general, the, uh, a lot of the authoritarian teachers will say like, no, you can't get up. No, you can't do this. So now you have this, this student who was almost bursting at the seams. And at some times I've seen kids start to cry and even pee on themselves because they cannot, they cannot do what they need to do even when it's documented. Yeah. Um, and let me tell you, there's And nothing- that's if they're reading the documentation. Yes, but which they're legally supposed to do. But like, and I got to tell you, it's very disheartening when you see a child like pee on themselves and you're like, what the fuck is your problem that you couldn't let them go to the bathroom? Or like, you just couldn't let them like just get up. And now like they, they just like, you know, it's like. I think another aspect we got to talk about are who are the teachers? There's a lot of teachers who don't care. There's a lot of teachers yeah. who are in the profession to do the job, and for they get the off. paycheck, and they go off. And yes, the the vacation time is great. Um, there are people who, you know, there are some people who, who go there to have some form of power because they don't have power anywhere else. So they come there. They know they can control kids. They can say to kids, do this, do that. Yeah. They will listen to them, but they know when they go home, 
they don't have that. There's some there's some No teachers, power, no control, no respect. Some, not even just teachers. There's some people who work in schools who definitely didn't get the opportunity to be a bully as a child. So here's and, their chance. And this oh, is their chance. 100%. And they're like, let, 100%. And they're like, they're like, let me move up. Because the further I move up, the more people I can bully. There are principals these days <laughs> who needed <laughs> to get it out of their system or whatever. But now, or they were bullied then. Now they're like, I'm never going to be in that situation again. So they just acquire power within the school structure. And then they exert their will in yeah. one way or the other on others. But yeah, that's that's an excellent point because there are people, teachers, principals, administration who for whatever reason, whatever they have going on and like I've been saying, we always say work on your shit. It's very important that you work on your shit because then you'll grow up <laughs> <laughs> then, sorry, then you'll bring whatever shit you have into your profession. And if you work with kids and your whole motivation is just to get through the day or get the paycheck, or you just are there to exert your power, then you're, you're, you're in the switch. wrong profession. Please switch. Um, but also, it's not just teachers, though, because they're, no matter, like, across professions, when you are in any managerial, like, aspect, whether you are the attending doctor you are the head resident you are the shift manager you are the store manager the regional manager um you know if you are finding ways to micromanage the people who work under you you are probably an authoritarian uh, kind of manager and it it hurts more than it helps and that's you know uh, you want to touch on the um positions? before we get into yeah got you um so when it comes to uh, physicians, like I said earlier, doctors, as I said earlier, um, being an authoritarian, like a lot of times from what I read, it seems like physicians don't necessarily know that they have an authoritarian approach. They're, especially now where um, they have to see patients or they're forced to, or they're encouraged slash forced to see patients within a 15 minute interval. They are not necessarily seeing that they have this authoritarian um, relationship because it's like, they already know they have to get this person in. They have to talk about whatever is happening um, and go to the next, go to the next thing, or go to the next person. So that you know that doesn't help the situation. But even within that, like once you get to like specialized doctors where you're you get to see them for a longer time, and it comes to like creating a care plan, that is also when people are it people are afraid to say something because they don't have a good relationship with their doctor. Like, do, do I think that you need to be like buddies with your doctor? No, but I do think that you should be a little bit more than cordial. That it should be like, you know, when you go and you, like when you talk to them, they remember like something about you. I would hate to go to a doctor. I've been dyeing my hair every couple months now. I would literally hate to go to a doctor and them not recognize my face them, you know, be like just not know anything about me. That would kind of freak me out. But that's what happens. Yeah, I know. But that that that's part of the problem, though. I I, I do know my. No, I'm not gonna tell that story. I know my doctor knows me. Well, I'm glad he knows you, but you're she. Ma I'm glad she knows you, but maybe not in a good way because I mean, how you're acting. There, yeah, but there needs to be like some. There has to. 
like when there's no personal relationship, it makes people more afraid to be a difficult patient because they feel like they cannot, they cannot go for a second opinion. They can't say, how do I, they can't disagree with what the doctor is saying, you know? And then we've all, they, we've all, like I mentioned before, it also affects how the other doctors around them are working. So they may not, you know, they may not continue CPR even when there is a justification to do so. But I also think that if you don't have that uh, personal relationship, it doesn't really open up a conversation between you and your physician. It's not like I feel like I can say this to them. Like when you, you know, you're more comfortable with somebody, you know that there's a level of rapport that you can have Mm -hmm. between this person, between you and this person. But when you don't have that, you're just like, okay, well, they're here. They'll be here. They'll talk to me for three minutes. They'll send a nurse in to do whatever follow-up that it is. And it's like, okay, if I only have FaceTime with you for a very limited number of time, a very limited amount of time, and then you, you know, disappear and you don't remember me every time I come in, it's where can we have that conversation at? Exactly. Exactly. But that's part of it. It's like the the business of medicine can be author- can be an authoritarian like method but then when you get into different offices they can have that kind of rapport with people too where it's like they don't know anybody they're again they're for the job just like teaching they're there for the the good money they're like i i got my degree i'm gonna do huh decent money (laughs) yeah like you know i'm gonna do what i need to do and like just keep going you know which doesn't help how many teachers have only fans I actually don't know. We can't, just we can't talk about that because we don't. I don't know. Fired. I don't really know. Listen, I don't really know. Listen, I'm not gonna lie. Listen, everybody has a side hustle. Listen, I I made the OnlyFans, then I was then I saw someone got fired, and I was like, delete, delete the OnlyFans because I can't lose. I'm a single parent, can't lose the job. That was it. I, I got. I was gonna get me a BBL to be on an OnlyFans, but I'm kidding. You don't need a BBL. That would just be stupid. That'd be a dumb investment. You should get calf implants. No. <laughs> absolutely not that'd be a better investment i know that's what people are the men are that's that's the men's bbl is uh calf implants no no the man's bbl is getting abs you can get abs yes you can yes you can suck out the fat and they can they can define your abs for you just work out um excuse me you can't tell people just to work out because for some people it's just too hard okay i got like you. for me it's just too hard to put down so what you're head. saying is you will pay to get abs and calves. Um, calves definitely. Look at these; they're, they're just so small. Okay. Just I would I have would. small calves. No, because then all these like I had to roll these. Pants I've up. seen fake calves, and they just like. Well, that they probably had a bad surgeon. But do you see, like my pants, like the thighs and the calves don't match, and it just makes me hear Cardi B in my head all the time. What does Cardi B say? She says talking about ass and and thighs, but when I hear it, Cardi B. It's it's my it's my insecurity of my small calves. But so your calves are your own and they're natural. Yeah, I know, but I can have a calf implant and it, my legs would look more proportional. Uh, this is my body. Whatever, I can work on it. I will work on it. Whatever. I mean, I'm just saying, like, if people want the calf, it's you know. It's the summer of the BBL, though. This is the summer of the BBL. I mean, because it's, it's a good investment. You Do you see where the BBLs can get people? Like, I've why seen a lot not? of BBLs, which I'm not sure where it got them. I'm just saying, I don't know where okay. they got it yet. It, it, can't, it can't work for 100% of the people. But when you see, when you see, like, the amount, like, this, when, like, especially now, like, with the celebrities in their bodies. Who may have talent? Exactly. Some Who, of them may, may have talent. Yes, okay, but... 
honestly, like Coyle Ray, I think she's almost like a anomaly because she's so thin. Oh, I was about to say she. Had- no, no, no. Where did that BBL go? No, no, because she's so thin, <laughs> but she's still so popular. You know, it's like it's like it's like ugly men who become famous and they don't wear sunglasses. Are not like think of one uh, one Seal. ugly man who Seal. Seal. Kiss oh. from a rose. Oh, hey, but he, it's not fair. Wasn't his face burned? That don't count. You can't. You can't. You can't count people who have who Michael have, K. Williams. Who that? Let me look him up. Let me Michael look him K. Up. Williams was Omar from The Wire. He had the scar on his face. He's not ugly though. Okay. Um, most men are not attractive in Hollywood. That's not true. Okay. I, maybe I have a. I don't okay. Know. I think, but like Tayo Cruz, he's an anomaly to me. He's a singer. He's saying dynamite. I know. I know Tayo Cruz, but I'm like, who the hell remembers how Tayo Cruz looked like? But but because he always wears sunglasses. He's yeah. a man. He needed them sunglasses to make him famous. Who's the guy who sang um, Return of the Mac? Mark Morrison. Let me look him up. So I Return of the Mac. I know that song. Yeah, Return. Actually, Everybody actually, knows that no. song. Uh, uh, color Me, the, the one who's the, no, not. You the, about to say Color Me Bad? No, no, no. Isn't it, no, isn't it the, the, the ones who sing, I want to say. That's Color Me Bad. They're all ugly. Those men's are But they, they sang. Anomaly. And because they were singers, them, that them, they was ugly. people were just throwing. You said Mark. Mark Morrison. Because Mark Wahlberg came up, and I was so confused. I mean, as soon as you type in Mark, yeah, Mark Wahlberg is going to show up. I anomaly. Is, you is, call him is, an, anom- is an anomaly. He, you, you said, so if he's an anomaly. Oh, wait, no. It... I looked at a picture of him when he came out. He's not. He's fine. What are you talking about? Look at them cheekbones. That's that's not when he came out. Oh, what that's he... way after he came out. That's after he came out? Um, I mean, I, that he looked like it looked more. Cur- like Return of the Mac came out in the 90s. All right, maybe. Look, he is he good looking? To me, he is. Oh, no, but in the jorts, though. I mean, God. Who, Those are baggy jorts. Who, who dressed him? Anyway, uh, we got to move on to uh, the teach, my favorite segment, which is Naughty and the Teach Recommends. Thank you, thank you. Well, as per usual, we're going to start with the queen of the podcast. What? Do you recommend for them today? For today. I had so many things to request for, I mean, to recommend today. I had, I forgot which one. Oh, it's Jimmy Seville, British Horror Story. Um, it's really good, but a content warning because he, you know, just did some un- nice things to children. But what it, the? Well, hold on. What's these unnice? He kicked kids. He kicked babies. No, he was like a. Was he playing WWE with a toddler? I mean, I just, <laughs> I just got. That didn't sound right. I didn't mean to say it like that. Um. No, he. I had to like. I'm like rewatching it, but yeah, no, he was like a pedophile. He was like a sexual harasser, assaulter. To children. Yeah, and just people. Like he was like a kind of like R. Kelly. You know, it wasn't about the age. He did it to, to a whole bunch of people. Oh yeah, we wouldn't recommend. I would recommend surviving R. Kelly. That's a good documentary. Would you, but if we're not going to recommend R. Kelly, should we? Whatever I works. I mean, I think it, the documentary is really good. I I like the way that they wait that, for this or the great the British horror story. Yes, I like the way. Um, I think it's an interesting story. It's on Netflix. I think it's an interesting story because he was very closely connected 
with the British royal family and with the British government because he was very close to Margaret, Margaret Thatcher. And he used to write personal letters to the royal family. They would ask him for advice. So I think that that's so interesting that because the royal family got their own, uh, you know, scandals and drama. And it's like the, you know, they have a saying like, uh, when tell you me your cousins. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Tell me who you uh tell me who you walk with and I'll tell you who you are. And the fact that nobody knew that um that this man Jimmy Seville or yeah, that he was or Jimmy well, that they didn't know that he was doing all these bad things and so many people gave him money and they asked for advice and it's like like recognizes like because y'all had all these scandals and you picked him. I'm gonna keep it real. I you know, I have some people I'm like, mm. I know you're not into some savory stuff. Are they still my friends? No, you distance yourself from them. Yes, they can be famous. They can do that. But there has to be a point to where somebody starts to say, okay, there's smoke going on over there. Do you investigate the fire or do you just go, oh, well, you know, let me just bury my head in the sand so that way we can know. And like you were saying, there's so much going on within that whole faction, that family, that they were just like, mm, let's just let's not dig into them for somebody digs into us. Yeah, it was. It is very interesting, like, cause he he was even close with Diana, and I'm like, no, not the people's princess. Yeah. But then you know she was murdered, so. Um, almost on the same level as her. My recommendation is a book. It's called Cast, by Isabella Wilkinson. Oh shit! I don't. So I am, I am taking this a chapter at a time because it's such a heavy read. It is a great read. It talks about. Basically, the caste system that is set up in the United States. And, you know, we, we talk about race and we talk about that. And when we talk about caste, we only talk about India. But the United States has had a caste system in place for black people since its inception. Um, you know, it, it talks about all of the policies in place. One of the things that struck me so much from this is there's a chapter on the Nazis and we talk about how bad the Nazis were and how terrible they were. But did you know the Nazis got most of their policies from policies that were already in place in the United States? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Like they studied United States policies so they can figure out how to work it in them. But there was something that they said was even too harsh for the Nazis. And it was the one drop rule. The one drop rule for those who may not know um, is if you had a drop of any black blood in you, you were not white. You were not pure, quote unquote. You were not you couldn't get the privileges that the white people were afforded back in those times. So the one drop is if you are one eighth black. So it would be like, you know, your great, great, great. Oh, yeah. Great, your, great, great, great. Your great, 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 great. Like grandfather or grandmother, if they were black, you then you or had white. black in them in some way. Yeah, no, it no. Was, it's if it's if if the if that person was black, then you have the one drop. It was, it was yes, yes, yes. So it was they felt they felt that was too much, and that that says something about it because we talk about how terrible the Nazis are. We never look at our own history. And realize, are, were we any better? Yes, the Nazis were terrible. Nobody's disagreeing with that. But was the way that the system set up in order to treat a specific group of people any better than them? So I'm 
slowly getting through this book. I have a lot of ways to go, but it's like every chapter. It is a hell of a hard read, but it is a highly, highly recommended read. So that's Minds Cast by Isabella Wilkinson. Um, all right. Anything we want to do to close up this episode? No. New logo coming up soon. Yes. Um, and we will post on the Instagram if we are going to have an episode during spring break. Yes. We, we right now we're planning on it. But also, you I'm going to tell you this now. Voice? You heard the pitch in his voice? That's, yeah. That's a amount of planning. I'm also telling you right now that, you know, it's spring break. Exactly. So we need a break just like you, and we advocate you taking a break, and we're going to take a break probably, or we won't. We'll see. I think have you on a probably. Either way, reach out to us on the Instagram. At Naughty and the Teach, at Naughty Flower, one word, and at the Teach NYC, all on Instagram, and this is all listed in the bios of wherever you are listening to us. Yes. Um. So check out the new graphics. We are still expanding. We are happy, and we're going to continue to put out some good content for you. Yep. All right. Anything you want to say before we go? No. All right. See you next time. <laughs>